We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pick it back to pass. He got hit in the end zone. As the Browns get in there, flow in. It's Miles Garrett. As the Browns get him down right by the goal line. Pickett didn't see him. He's lucky it was not a safety. Second down and 11 from their 12. DTR takes the snap. It's a draw. They hand it off. Hunt's got room. 15. Hurdles the tackler. 20, 25, 29-yard line. And a first down. How about that? Here we go. Hewlett ready to put the ball back. Snaps it back. Ball down. Hopkins into it. Flag down. Kick is up. And the kick is good. With two seconds left, there's a flag down. It looks like the Steelers were offside. Offside. You bet. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Tuesday, comprehensive breakdown. As you guys always know, it's Jake Burns, joined here by Andrew Spade as usual. And we are going to be recording on the fly a little bit. Andrew might sound a little different, different microphone. Um, you know, he's he took the time still to, to be with us. So pretty pumped about that. Get his insights. Just didn't want you to think Andrew's voice. Last time we got an experience of Andrew's voice sounding weird, you had the deepest <laughs> voice this side of the Mason Dixon line. So we uh, we just want to preface that little different microphone. He's on the move. So I, I welcome Andrew in for our usual opener on this bit. And and I think the thing that we have to start with Andrew is a little bit of the news surrounding Kevin Stefanski's presser and um, the loss of Roddy McLeod. Right. I think that's. Um, with Juan Thornhill's calf injury, it looms relatively large here because I'm looking at late game film and Ronnie uh, Hickman's on the on the field and DeAnthony like the, the the very close the the most important two drives of the season at this point. I mean, you know, you could probably argue the Baltimore game had more impo- important moments, but this game was I think every game going forward feels like it's the most important part of the Brown season. But DeAnthony Bell and Ronnie Hickman are out there playing safety in cover one, right? Like one's a low hole sitter, one's a deep center. Like, oh my God, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy, right? So you lose Rodney McLeod. I guess it's a biceps injury. Maybe he tore the bicep. I didn't see if there was any specific label to that, but you hear Greg Newsome talk about him, you know, the leadership, how he taught them kind of how to, to just be professionals, which is almost what he was saying. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw that quote or not, Andrew, but like essentially saying that he taught them how to handle meetings. He's taught them how to handle every little part of the game um, from being a professional standpoint. Obviously he's got a deep, rich understanding of what Jim Schwartz wants to do. And Rodney can still get it done to a large extent, but I'm guess I'm looking from your perspective, how big this loss is. It's probably magnified with Thornhill's calf injury here, because I think in a world you can live and be fine with Grant and, and one, and then playing three, three uh, DBs, but it limits a little bit of your flexibility. But I think there's a bigger picture thing here with Rodney McLeod, kind of the same with Anthony Walker, who we also learned is, week to week with a hamstring where these guys are just, they're, they're, they're a little more transcendent than just on the field play, if that makes sense. So I'm guess I'm asking you, Andrew, what your concern level is to lose a player like Rodney McLeod, who maybe not the most talented part of your defense, but, but clearly a part of what makes their soul. You know what I mean? I do. And I, I think it's a, it's a really good point. It's a good uh, way to look at it because I, I think it, you could maybe be in a hurry to dismiss it as a concern based on, I think some, you know, at times uneven uh, performances from Rodney McLeod. I, I know, you know, as an example, he took a really bad angle on that Jalen Warren touchdown run, uh, you know, which it's not the end of the world, but obviously, you know, you want a guy that's a veteran of that caliber to, or that, that experience to know his limitations a little bit better, I think. So, um, but I think, yeah, your point about, 
I, you flash back to last year, right? Well, you, you think last year about Anthony Walker goes out against the Steelers second week of the year and third week of the year, and it just kind of derails whatever defensive momentum they had early. Um, I think it maybe probably was overblown considering how much the scheme change has ended up helping them uh, this year. But um, it is something, it's in the back of your mind, I guess is what I would say. It's in the back of my mind that Rodney McLeod and Anthony Walker, both potentially missing against Denver, that's those are probably two of your largest veteran voices not being on the field. And you hope that other players that have, you know, uh, experience can uh, sort of jump in and um, fill that void. I'm talking about Miles Garrett. I'm talking about Denzel Ward. I'm talking about even at this point, somebody like Sione Takitaki has been in the in the organization for five years. You know, has seen quite a lot of football here. So uh, you hope that some some folks can step up. But I yeah, I I think there's I want to see this defense not miss a beat. Uh, with a player like McLeod going out, maybe that's too high of a standard. But I, I think, you know, the 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 loss is more about leadership. And I, I hope at this point in the year there are other players that are able to pick that up. Yeah, it is, it is very much a leadership uh, element for him. And and I hope that he's going to miss time because he's going to get surgery, and there's going to be elements to the surgery. But you hope he can be with them as much as possible to help these guys prep help these guys, you know, uh, you know, take it, take advantage of things he's seen. You don't want to lose that is kind of what I'm getting at. He clearly appears to be the veteran quarterback type of, of that room and uh, has had an immense impact on everybody in it. So uh, you, you don't like this, but you got to be able, like you said, they've been living in next man up world, this, this team this year. And if they're derailed by a third safeties injury, that wouldn't, be a good omen on who they are as a, as, as a collective group. So I don't expect it to, but nonetheless, it is, it is painful. Right? I mean, like Rodney is a, is an important yeah. part. You can't just, you can't just brush it off, but in, again, you're, you, the, the scope of injuries, we talk about this all the time. It's like the scope of injuries, it's not the, the, the most crippling, but I do hope they can find a way to navigate that. And, and luckily, you know, Thornhill is, is trending to be back this weekend and he brings a, a nice amount of veteran leadership. And to your point, Andrew, we talked about this just yesterday's show, is that these guys are getting older. Denzel's getting older. Denzel is, is a big-time veteran. Grand Delpit now, a big-time veteran, these guys. They've been around for a while. So, you know, you got to lean on that they have, they've learned what they need to learn at this point and carry it on. And we can't be sitting here four weeks from now talking about the loss of Rodney McLeod. It's like something that took the train off the tracks, right? So... A culmination effect here. You hope to get Cam Mitchell back off the IR in the next few weeks, and then, uh, like I said, get Thornhill back and and kind of kind of right the ship a little bit. But um, it's it's just it's certainly one to to talk about. It just can't be over it can't be overlooked. I, I know that also on the practice squad you have Tanner McAllister who had some moments, and I know they like him in the preseason. And Vincent Gray, those are the two names on the practice squad. I saw that Desmond King signed somewhere. I was kind of looking at the market if there was anybody in the free agent realm that could come in in that regard. And I saw Desmond King sign somewhere, but, but we'll keep an eye on that if they feel the need to, to go out and expand upon things. But again, like they're throwing Roddy Hickman out there for a large portion of things. And then when McLeod got hurt, they were willing to put in D'Anthony Bell and play that way. Right. So that's uh next man up. I know I said it a minute ago, but that's how they yeah. live. That's how they operate. The Anthony Walker thing is tricky. Siona Takitaki comes in, plays most of the game. Um, it's good to hear that walk isn't done for a long time here, but hamstrings always linger a little bit. And, uh, but I will be interested. JOK played a good amount of snaps. I thought talk was fine. There are some matchups that are better for him than others. I think this is a matchup that was that was good for him. I think this one in Denver will be interesting. But I do think that when they go out to LA, it's like man, no nobody really dresses the window up quite like McVeigh. And I think they could have him in a blender at times. So I'm kind of curious what it'll look like uh, when they get out to LA. But but for now, it's good that it's good that Walker's back because he's an important part too. I mean, I know that there's some reference to. Jordan Kanasic may be coming off the IR at some point too, but I think Walk is. I think that the the cumulative effect Andrew of of losing Walker and McLeod can have some ramifications. One's your your consistent play caller, leader of your linebacker room. Same with McLeod, leader of that room. So we'll have to see if the veterans have taught those guys below them the necessary elements here, right? And uh, 
you know, see if they can keep this thing rolling in the right direction as they travel out West. I think that's, that's where our focus goes to when you see some injuries like this. Yeah. It's about keeping things going, you know, and, and I mean, we talked yesterday extensively about the fact that it felt often in the Steelers game that they couldn't afford to give up any points. And you have to imagine absent some pretty big shift offensively, that will be the case in Denver is again. So it's not just that the defense has to be good. They have to be lights out. And so um, that it's a bunch of pressure on them every week. And, and so far they've done an ama- amazing job of standing up to it, but uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it just, uh, you, you don't want, yeah, I think the concern is that all of this sort of culminates. Um, I mean, they're you know they're on a three-game winning streak now, so you're kind of looking for that that speed bump, right? Because there's going to be one, right? NFL teams don't typically reel off ten win, ten ten game win streaks to finish a season. I think that maybe the Bengals did it last year. It doesn't happen that often, certainly not when you're missing your starting quarterback and your starting running back. So you're you're sort of alert to what game could be that that speed bump and obviously a two game road road trip to the West coast is where the mind goes because it, it's a, you know, they've got a tall task ahead of them in these two games. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited about the opportunity, but I'm also definitely with these injuries starting to, you know, just, you want the defense to just not let up ever. And it's, you know, it's a, it's, we're asking a lot of them. The expectations are incredibly high, but so far they've lived up to them. So hope they keep it up. Yeah, a little bit of an eye for an eye. They lost Kareem Jackson on the other side, uh, on the Denver side, who continues to to headhunt pretty gnarly hits. And yeah, I can't say gnarly. I can think of anybody outside of yeah. I can't say if I think of many guys who have been suspended not once but twice for style of play. So yeah, he's into that perfect territory getting, now. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while, man. So he was suspended, mm-hmm. I think four reduced to two, and now he's suspended another four games or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, looking at their safety depth chart, Justin Simmons is obviously their guy, but I, I mean, maybe they're going to be playing either this PJ Locke or Delarin Turner Yell. I, I mean, I, I'm not sure. There, there's clearly going to be a weakness there compared to uh, what Kareem Jackson had been doing for them. So. That's something to keep an eye on. But otherwise, I mean, I haven't even looked at Denver's roster <laughs> wholeheartedly. I haven't even looked at their the, the sort of injury situations they're dealing with. We'll get into that later in the week. But that piece of news is at least noteworthy for a, a secondary. The, the, I think we could say Denver's run defense has been suspect at best. Their secondary has played pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's certainly worth keeping an eye on. But, but to your point, Andrew, and what I think normally we open with, what did we learn? Well, I don't even know that we even learned much from yesterday. The, the The question I have for you, which we'll talk about in a moment, is like, did we learn enough about Dorian Thompson Robinson to be swayed either way off of our, our you know, pre-game feelings about him, I guess is the way to say it, like how we felt about coming into the game. Did you did you learn anything one way or the other? But the, the formula is the formula. You know, you're talking mm-hmm. about how they have to keep teams out of the end zone. And, it, you know, the national folks are picking up on this. We've listened to several different angles about them i broke down the film of the offense it was almost elementary at times repeating a lot of similar concepts they're playing very safe they're playing to to eat little chunks of yardage to get to third manageable they're clearly trying to limit the turnovers that bit them in the season early parts of the season they're playing formulaic as hell like they're they're grinding out everything on offense and and leaning into their defense in a way that they should. I think people are losing sight of that at times because they're, they want more, more, more from the offense. And I'm still like, (laughs) you guys don't quite understand the restrictions that are in place right now for obvious reasons. I think we can just sometimes forget, you know, they're winning. They're seven and three, Andrew, which is great. But you, you look around the league, man, and like these other teams in similar injury or quarterback situations, are four and six or three and seven and you get to seven and three and you start thinking, well, we're seven and three. We should be playing this style, right? Right. They're almost Belichicking this thing post Tom Brady. Some of those teams, like again, you look at some of the defenses that they've had, the Belichick post Brady and they've put together some really good groups, right? And that's the that's sort of what they're doing here is 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 they'll they're they're trying to lean into let's let's push our defense to the limit, knowing that our offense is very restricted and just sort of trying to be a group that capitalizes on it. and that's the formula from this game. And again, there's like, what did we learn? We didn't learn much. The defense is really good, the offense is struggling, and that's all there is to really 
say like they're just limited. The ceiling of the offense is limited. I don't think even bringing in Joe Flacco lifts that ceiling all too much. It's just a limited group. Um, but you know, it's amazing. I kind of am getting at here is it's amazing that they're seven and three. While you look at some of these other teams that are dealing with similar situations and like, you're talking about Brian Dable's a little bit on the hot seat, right? Robert Sala, mm-hmm. that guy's on the hot seat. There are these mm-hmm. coaches that are trying to be fired over similar situations. And Kevin Stefanski's got these guys seven and three, and, and he has people creating expectations. That's kind of like what I'm getting at. There are these mm-hmm. expectations for them. And we're really watching a group play with house money and, and just continue to kind of roll red, right? Like they're yes. doing they're doing some smart stuff to lean into who they are. And I think there's a chance that the the group just collectively gets better as this quarterback gets better. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that the thing I come away from this game is, is just as I processed it and rewatched it is I'm just amazed how they're, they're doing things we've seen other teams in the league do. And we've like, again, you, you referenced the other day and I'll, I'll shut up here. I'm kind of rambling, but you referenced the other day. You don't have to go very far. You go back and look at last year. I think there were times last year where we're like, well, they have this top 10 quarterback play from Jacoby Brissett. They're four and seven. And then we're looking over it. I can't even remember last year, Andrew. I'm sure there were some, some, some heroic tales from last year of teams overachieving. (laughs) And we're like, why can't, how are those guys seven and four? We can't, Mm -hmm. we can't get there. They're in the middle of doing that. And I'm just kind of urging everybody to just enjoy it is I kind of guess what I'm saying, because we're seeing something really unique here that yeah, they've had some good fortune. They've also had some bad fortune on the one score game scenarios too. So like Mm -hmm. it's, um, I don't know, man, I don't have a great sentiment here. We can talk about DTR and uh, how you're feeling about him getting the starting nod going into Denver. But I I also want to reflect on like everybody taking a step back from the, 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 you kind of, we all get laser focused on how do they make the playoffs? How do they make the playoffs? And I get that. We all want that. But like, this is a really cool ride that they're on. Yeah. They're they're over yeah. overachieving, and we haven't seen the Browns like be the overachiever before. Like we haven't That's seen right. that. So I don't know. It's kind of where I'm at. No, I, I think it's a great point that you make comparing them to to a team like the Jets, even even the Bills to a certain extent. Other teams that are, you know, disappointing. I mean, I you know, you, it's not maybe the most flattering comparison to the Browns, but you know, think about how disappointing the Bears' offense has been considering what their preseason expectations were, right? Or uh, you know, I mean, even we're, we're, you know, Monday night football's on the Eagles are struggling to move the ball against the chiefs. Right. So there's like, uh, you know, there's examples around the league of every year of, of teams that are supposed to be, you know, this, you know, a, a, an average or above average team. And then they, you know, an injury kind of ruins their season. I think that's what, you know, that's the story of the jets, the giants is the other team, you know, who are, who are just, you know, down at the end of the league, uh, despite their win against Washington yesterday. But, you know, it goes back to what we talked about yesterday, Jake, the 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 mantra that Kevin Stefanski has been preaching about taking everything one game at a time, you know, and, and he, he, you know, I think you mentioned, you alluded to it yesterday. He's in these post-game speeches, he's saying to these guys, I don't even know who we play next week. And it's like, obviously that's not true. I mean, <laughs> it would be chilling if the head coach of the, the, the team <laughs> didn't know who the next opponent was. And and we know that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it doesn't matter. And I yeah. I think you know to to that point and to your point about where the offense is at, I'm kind of going back to what they had to do to beat the Colts and how many points they put up in that game. And I know Watson was playing better, but um, the the number of points they needed to beat the Ravens just last week. This offense can score points. In certain situations, obviously the Colts game, you know, Miles Garrett was responsible for one of those touchdowns. They had a few short fields because of the way the defense was playing. But that was a P.J. Walker game. And, you know, the, the quarterback situation was in flux that game. You know, Watson turned it over uh, and, and I, they ended up putting a lot of points up on the Colts. I think that what I feel like is true about the offense is that they're figuring out how to beat that week's opponent. And I think when you look at the Pittsburgh we'll game, yeah. this is this is. This is the way the Browns knew they could beat the Steelers because they knew they didn't need more than 13 points because they knew, you know, that they, that the, the, the Steelers offense was not a threat to them. The way they called that game, the, the, the zone switch up stuff that, that 
entire game from Jim Schwartz was, I'm not scared of you guys. You know, I think Nate Tice made that point on the 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 athletic football show uh, Monday morning wrap up. He, he said, you know, they called that game with the pressures they were calling and stuff. It was like fearless. Uh, and and so that tells me that the the game plan they came in with was we are going to take as few risks as humanly possible with the football. We are not going to repeat what happened in week two when it was only our own mistakes that caused us to lose that game. They they had almost no penalties for the entire game. They only had the one turnover on the deflection. I think Thompson Robinson had one turnover worthy play. It was a different one, but still, they didn't you know they didn't fumble the ball. And yeah, the offensive performance was, you know, at, at times you were at the edge of your seat, worried, sick that they weren't going to get it done. But I, I, and I think we kind of talked about this last week, Jay, because it's like the last thing you want this game plan to be is taking a ton of unnecessary risks. And they embraced that. They embraced that fully. So I think now when you think about Denver, how they beat the Broncos is not going to be the same way that they beat the Steelers. Because I think the Broncos are going to be able to move the ball on this defense a little bit better than Pittsburgh did, right? So now it's going to be a different game plan. As you said before, they probably know they can get to some stuff in the run game that they like more. So it's a totally, you know, it's not a totally different game plan. It's obviously all still within what they do well, but the emphasis will be different. And I think it'll be, as it has been every week, conducive to getting this team a win. I mean, the thing I come back to, 10 games, only that uh, first Baltimore game at home with the, the injury situation weirdness, were they non-competitive? The other two losses, you could make a solid argument that they should have beat the Steelers. They had the ball late with a chance to beat the Seahawks. Both of those are road games in tough places to play. That's, you know, when you talk about the difference between these other teams that are at the bottom of the league and where the Browns are, and I'll say this again, I've said it a bunch, we don't need to worry about the Browns showing up for a game. Every week they're showing up ready to fight. And that is a a true credit to the job that Kevin Stefanski is doing. Yeah, and they're not trying to solve eight different problems one way they're trying to solve eight different problems eight different ways they're trying they're they're going into each game like you said you know they didn't go into the game with pittsburgh saying well let's only score 13 points but they knew that if they folk like they could feel it you could just feel the way it was going and it was clear that they just needed to not beat themselves and they did a great job of not beating themselves and those. And you're right, man. I didn't even note this. And I, I'm kind of bummed that we didn't mention it in our post game a little bit more. They only had one penalty for 10 yards as opposed to Pittsburgh six for 46. And that matters, right? You know, uh, you look at all the metrics we talk about around here, man, where they're playing 20 more plays. They're getting eight more first downs. They're getting five more minutes of possession. That is the stuff. That's the formula for them. Now I think they can repeat the formula in a large way in this Denver game, you know, I think that there's a chance they do move the ball a little better. Denver, uh, Sean Payton, I think is a little more slick with the play calling than what we saw from Canada. And I think Russell Wilson is playing better, (laughs) but they also can create some real chaos for Russell Wilson in a way that makes him super uncomfortable and can match up with Martin Emerson a little better with Cortland Sutton than some teams. So I'm, I'm excited about that challenge up there, what they're able to do. And offensively, (laughs) I think we've mentioned it so many times in the past two weeks, like, play a team that a doesn't know Kevin Stefanski really well. And B is just not nearly as good as these others. That's Cause it. I think at the, at the root of that Pittsburgh game is their defense played really, really well. And like they yeah. get paid too, and they played mm-hmm. well. And I would be interesting. Like the, the most interesting thing will be again, playing two teams. You don't play very often. So they don't know you as well. I mean, like, cause I, I had referenced right. this on the show or, or I don't know when I referenced it. I just remember talking about it. Maybe I was on someone else's show. Kevin's been calling plays for four years. Right. Know, John Harbaugh's had two different coordinators in four years. You know, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. has brought in Matt Canada in the, in the four years. So like they teams are starting to really know him. So yeah. he's kind of like fighting. Yeah. They're he's mm-hmm. fighting those demons a little bit there. So get away from these damn AFC North teams for a little while until the end of the year, you know, maybe Cincinnati <laughs> will be on punt the season draft pick mode, right? There's a chance right. for that. So, Mm-hmm. I just don't know that there's some grueling AFC North game remaining and they can go out and play some teams that don't know them as well and find some wiggle room offensively to help alleviate the defense a little bit. And I think the defense is like you put your arm around them here and say, thank you. You guys, you guys really did it for us in these big moments. Yep. So let's, let's, uh, let's have the offense step up and meet them 
meet them at midfield a little bit here and step up to the plate. And I think they can do that against, as we've, as we've referenced some lower quality defenses that they're going to run into the rest of the way. So exciting stuff, good stuff, Andrew, to start this thing. Uh, I think there's a, a lot to learn in the comprehensive breakdown about how the Browns attack this game. Cause it's, it's pretty fun on the defensive side, how they went about confusing them, wrote an article for OBR subs to check out on that exact topic about what they did with coverage and, how they manipulated the pre-snap to post-snap look to really mess with Kenny Pickett and how it it, uh, it left Kenny looking like a JV quarterback, which is uh, the ultimate conundrum. If you've seen the meltdown in Steelers world today, uh, ringing up some of those old preseason tweets, Andrew, were quite uh, quite fun to revisit. Yeah, one of the sweetest things that we've seen as, as Browns fans in a while is, is uh, where they're at right now because, you know, we, we talked last week a lot about being disappointed that you want the Steelers to kind of bottom out as a team, but a, a close second place is the fan base bottoming out psychologically after you beat them. I, I'll take that because that's exactly what's happening over yeah. there is they're realizing that this isn't the guy. And, uh, you know, I also saw some pretty credible reporting I thought from Pittsburgh that he probably will still be the starter next year. So they're in that really nasty spot where the organization likes the quarterback more than the fans do. And that is a true nightmare. It is. Well, that's what you get with first round picks. You're afraid to give up on them after two years. And I just couldn't urge them more to stretch it out five years and see what you really have there. You should be as patient as possible. The path for the Steelers, you know, what you hope for, Jake, is that they, they think the problem is the offensive coordinator, right? So that they go out and find, they go out and hire somebody else next year. They, they get rid of Canada, but they keep Pickett. And now you need to see two years of Kenny Pickett with a different offensive coordinator. That gets you through four years. And at that point, now, you know, you're pretty far down the road, so maybe you just need to go ahead and pick up that option because you got to make that decision before that fourth year even starts, as you recall. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I, that's to me is, I think, the, the way you want this to go is they, they bring in another coordinator, and Tomlin has not been the best at picking offensive coordinators. So, um, they, if the, if the Steelers can deal with this for a few more years, I think every Browns fan in the world will, will have plenty of, uh, sort of, uh, whatever, joy looking over the hedge at their neighbors. Listen, the math adds up to me. You got to give them a couple more years minimum. You can't really there rush this. I'll just I'll just say this, and I know not the, the football world won't agree with me, but the only thing saving Kenny Pickett is a Mike McDaniel hire. A, an offensive mind as smart as Mike McDaniel, and they find a true complement of speed to somebody like Tyreek Hill. I, I don't – there's not a game – I'm just going to say it like I'm not a giant believer in Tua Tagovailoa without the right people around him. Mm -hmm. It has to be right. And I think that he found the perfect situation. There's not a neutral world where I'm afraid of Kenny Pickett. I'm just not. The, the arm talent's not there. The processing's not there. If he finds an offensive coordinator who's a true up and comer, a Ben Johnson type uh, offensive coordinator, we'll have that discussion. But you also have to have some really dynamic, unique weapons in the passing game to make you fear him too. And I'm just... That's just right. not there with him. So I, I mean, like, I do think that there's a world where they will be patient and they will wait another year and see what they have and try to pair him. Like the point you made, try to pair him with another offensive coordinator, but they're in the thick of dangerous waters, man. Like really the waters you don't want to swim in the waters that they laughed at the Browns about with, uh, with Baker Mayfield for a while there. I, I it's just mm -hmm. not a spot you want to be in with a floundering, a floundering first round quarterback like this. So they're going to need a miracle. Miami found a miracle to right the ship down there with Tua, and I just don't know that that miracle is still floating out there. And and but I, you know we wish Pittsburgh nothing but the but the worst, and uh, hopefully they they don't find anything <laughs> of the sort. Right. So I think we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Transition to comprehensive breakdown. We're going to take a break. Thanks to Andrew for being here, and a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's switch over to comprehensive breakdown time. This was... From the measurement folks, the uh, fine folks at Pro Football Focus actually graded this performance collectively as the Browns' worst, second worst, I apologize, overall performance as a team since the Baltimore game where they had a 46.7 overall in the Baltimore game. And then 62 for the Steelers game, 62.3 for the 49ers game, 64.8 for the Ravens win, and then a 65.5 for the Seahawks loss. So they don't think your team played very well. Offensively, they mark this one as the second worst offensive performance, uh, only other than the first Baltimore matchup. And then defensively, this one is a little more middle of the pack. They gave them a 68.5 just in front of that 49ers game but out in front of Seahawks Colts first Ravens or sorry the the second Ravens matchup and then the uh, first Ravens matchup so a little more middle of the pack on defense not calling it a great game from their perspective but yeah that's that's sort of the overall cumulative information so we'll start with offense where the Browns go for 259 total yards they convert only 4 of 17 third down so third down was obviously a problem that they were trying to navigate, right? Trying to get into any sort of third and medium, third and short they possibly could. And pushed out to 73 plays, but 3.5 yards per play is is not uh, it's not good enough. 96 net rushing yards, obviously also not good enough. They need to be better in that department. The silver lining, as we talked about with Andrew earlier, they were able to throw for net passing yards 163, which was better than the 77 from Pittsburgh. Only one penalty. Only one turnover, which wasn't one of the massively consequential types of turnovers that we saw the first time they played Pittsburgh. They outpunted Pittsburgh with a 48 net yards per punt average on eight punts to Pittsburgh's nine. 
And then, uh, you know, they were obviously able to convert two field goals instead of one and had the football for about four minutes longer. So all of that really encouraging, you know, in terms of their style, uh, their style of play. Personnel, they went 11 personnel, 47 snaps, 33 of which from 47 snaps were pass plays. That's what you'd expect. Three wide receivers on the field, 12 personnel, 18 times 11 runs, 13 personnel, eight times seven runs. So they were tight end heavy. They were, you know, quite, quite obviously running the football. Now I think that encouraged some challenging boxes in terms of run numbers, which did not help them in, in very many facets of, of producing run production in this one. But, you know, overall, I think that they wanted to play it safe and they wanted to try to see if they could handle things inside the tackle box with their guys against Pittsburgh's and it didn't work out well enough. And they even flirted with the gun run stuff a little bit too, but the gun run stuff, they got beat up inside as well. And again, I give Pittsburgh's defense credit. I thought collectively that group played pretty well. I mean, uh, Hayward and uh, Larry Ogunjobi did a nice job inside. Highsmith was really effective. I thought they neutralized TJ Watt pretty well, but Watt's still a menace in the run game where he was effective setting edges, chasing down pin pull stuff from the backside. Those two edge players are really good. I think they're they're tough to uh they're tough to beat. You know, I think that a large part of what you have to do with Pittsburgh is be able to run sort of inside of them and they were not able to do that and that caused a bunch of chaos, right? They tried to throw a ton of quick passing game. I have from their 44 dropbacks, 43 attempts, one sack in the mix there as well. I have 80% of it coming in quick game concepts. 1 2 3 throw, catch rock throw, that get the football out mantra, right? If you look at this, the specific statistics for the offense, you know, you, you kind of you kind of clue into what the quarterback did, right? The pressure depth, all that stuff. The football is getting out really fast, like the time to throw. True Media had this game at like 2.26, which is down from the 2.8 or 2.9 he had earlier this year. There was a heavy emphasis on quick throwing game, taking care and making smart decisions with the football, and then being able to scramble, get loose, and try to to, to avoid sitting in the pocket. And it, and it, you know, it manipulated a lot of what they're able to do. There was no downfield passing game because they did not have much of a focus there. So when they found themselves in third and long, the concepts were very limited, and the quarterback was not comfortable throwing them. They have to get better at those. Needless to say, in the coming weeks, right? So you know, you're looking at every game played this year, just to give you some perspective here. The Browns' 3.4 air yards per attempt is the sixth lowest across all teams this year, like I said. So the, the only ones that have been worse was the Giants at the Jets, Bears at the Raiders, the Cardinals actually at the Browns, uh, and that one with, with Clayton Toon. And then Chicago Green Bay from the Chicago side to Tyler Bajan starts right. And then New England, Buffalo, Mac Jones. You're not putting yourself in the best territory here and then Denver obviously that's funny and ironic at Buffalo is right around them as well and then it's the it's the 10th quickest time to throw number for the season two and obviously that stands out for all games across the league it's it's just the the single fastest amount of time in a single game a team has done that right and they looking at you know kind of league-wide insurance in terms of it was the 16th ranked performance with um trying to make sure I, I explain this right percentage of throws under 2.5 seconds so they had 65.1 of uh, percent of throws under 2.5 seconds to delivery that is 16th in terms of games this year ironically the Bengals uh have have shown up in this many times with Burrow in the early Burrow injury stages the Titans at the Browns had a 68% number. So the Browns defense is involved in some of these where teams are trying to get rid of the football quickly. But nonetheless, I'm just trying to give you some perspective. It was a really historic, for a season perspective, historic like you know, push to get rid of the ball quickly, alleviate the issues. You can see what they're fighting here, what Kevin's trying to game plan around. So uh, it's kind of obvious the game plan. I, I kind of try to reiterate on these what, what I think the team's game plan is, and it's right there in front of you. Outside zone, they ran seven times, only two yards per carry. The yards per carry is not kind on any concept in this one, let me tell you. Um, inside zone, they didn't run at all, which is disappointing to me. It's one of the, the, the biggest holes in the game plan, if you ask me, to not have run that once. 
I mean, I guess you just don't think your guards can handle the double teams and climb to the linebackers sort of stuff here. But, you know, your power counter largely run from the gun. There was some under center with this. They ran that for three yards per carry on 10 tries. And Penn Pool was even less effective. Seven carries of that, 1.5 yards per carry. So the concept, the plan, the execution of the run game was bad. You layer that on top of a passing game, trying to find its footing with a rookie quarterback, trying to get rid of the football quickly to alleviate tackle struggles you can see the formula for struggling offense right so again offense down around the league perspective your browns have more points scored this year than the chiefs they've scored more second half points than the chiefs it's a weird offense season but i'm not here to say that that's giving the browns a solution to the season and i mean right time right place being a team that could have a defense that can dominate those types of quarterback performances and an offense that can kind of thrive off of that taking advantage of it but uh, just again, perspective on the game plan. They ran stick spacing so many times, really, really simplistic stuff meant to help the quarterback get rid of it fast. I mean, DTR in the game, if we're looking at some of his like perspective numbers, right, going through this again, 56.2 pass number. It's like 21st in the NFL. So certainly not the worst in the NFL this week, but, um, you know, up there in terms of like one of the bottom tier performances. He had one turnover-worthy play, which was the dropped interception on the sideline. The batted ball is not a turnover-worthy play. They count that as a drop. He had six drops. Not sure all of those are fair to put on wide receivers, but some of them were, right? So one turnover-worthy play. I thought he had one big-time throw, but they didn't credit it that way. That that throw he ripped to Elijah Moore. It's in Chalk Talk if you want to go watch that on YouTube. He puts a, a curl route right on him to start that final drive for 16 yards. That was huge, a huge throw to get that drive started. Uh, otherwise, stats here uh, for him when he was kept clean, he was 21 of 37 for 140, and then the tip ball interception and his turnover-worthy throw came when he was kept clean. Under pressure, he's only facing pressure because the ball was out so fast. 3 of 6, 25 yards. When he was not blitzed, 12 of 28 for 98, the interception, and then when he was blitzed, 12 of 15 for 67. So encouraging that when a blitz was brought, he handled it pretty well. Play action, only four play action throws, three of four, 21 yards. They did not want to deep drop him off under center play action. They booted him out a couple times, one of which was effective for 16-yard gain to Njoku, but they didn't want to do much of that either because they thought that you know Pittsburgh's a tough team to boot on with, with Highsmith and Watt, and that usually plays itself out, and it kind of did. Non-play action, 21 of 39. That's your result, 144. Four or five on screens, but only 10 yards. Pittsburgh snuffed those out extremely well, sitting on tight ends and running backs. So here's your perspective. Zero throws of 20 yards downfield. Two of four for 29 yards on 19, 10 of 19. Short throws, 15 of 27 for 125. And then behind the line of scrimmage, nine throws behind the line of scrimmage for 11 yards. So tough day collectively, right? Tough to move the football. Good defenses on both sides. Browns did just enough. As far as snap counts for the game, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 75, and that's the big number, right? So, uh, Jerron Christian, 75, Teller, Posich, and Batonio all played 75. James Hudson played 45, and Dewan Jones played 30, 25 of which came in pass block for Dewan Jones, 5 in run block. Hudson, 22 and 23, so he was split evenly. So, they brought Dewan in for the late portions of the game, really, and he was a pass pro specialist, and he handled himself really well. He had the 75.9 pass protection grade, which is really strong. Put that with Teller, Postage, Batonio. They graded those guys out really strongly in pass protection. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Run game-wise, the receiving numbers are not going to be kind um, because of the drops, right? Elijah Moore caught 6 of 7 for 60 yards, so he's your leading receiver graded at 60.7. Uh, he had, uh, let me make sure he had 22 wide snaps. He had 18 in the slot. Amari Cooper had the second highest 58.80, caught four of eight targets for 34. He ended up with 36 snaps wide, 10 in the slot. And Joku had 20 snaps in the slot, five wide, 16 in line. He had a 56 grade. They credited Joku with three drops. Elijah Moore with the one on that curl route he dropped, and then Jerome Ford with two, so that counts for your six drops. You had Njoku catch seven of 15 targets. He gets a 56 grade. Obviously, the three drops didn't help much uh, in terms of that overall grade, and 
I'm not sure all of them were totally catchable that they labeled dry. I think there's one you could dispute. The other two were were certainly catchable. And I think they gave him the benefit of the doubt on a few others as well. Cedric Tillman caught one of two throws for only two yards in his direction. We'll see if they can find a way to get him, who's a guy who's on the field a lot, a chance to to get more opportunity, right? They they need that, need that out of him. Cooper played 67 snaps and Joku 67, Tillman 66, Moore 53. And then uh, Jerome Ford, 37 out of the backfield, 33 for Kareem Hunt, 24 for t- uh, tight end Harrison Bryant, 15 for Jordan Akins. Fullback Nick Harris came in for seven runs and then three snaps for Pierre Strong. Uh, two for David uh, David Bell as well coming back this week. So rushing grades, as I said, not not the kindest numbers. You get a 68 from Jerome Ford. He, missed, uh, he had three missed tackles forced, four zone runs, seven gap runs. He ended up with a long of 13, 110-plus yard rush where he got up the right sideline, had that uh, you know, face mask penalty um, labeled in there on that one. Uh, one of the early portion run game success the Browns had. Kareem Hunt got a 58.9 run grade. Pierre Strong a 59.7. Pierre Strong only got one rush for one yard. Thought he had a chance to break that one, but got caught down the line from Highsmith, which we illuminated. That was a real chance to get out and run in space. Could have been a huge run. Cedric Tillman got the reverse for eight yards as well. So Hunt goes 12 for 36. Jerome Ford, 12 for 31. Ugly 2.6 yards per carry for Ford and then three from Hunt. And uh, like I said, they they weren't creating much over expected either. I'm telling you, the, the, the alleys were <laughs> relatively tight. The pass blocking stuff was good. Wyatt Teller, 84.9. Uh, Batonio, a 77. Duan, who I thought was strong, really did a good job with Watt. I gave him a lot of plus grades. He ends up with a, a 75.9. Postage, 73.7. They did a good job passing off the interior guys. A lot of the line twisting stunt stuff. The, the Steelers are on a big twist exchange team, but they did a good job double teaming for the most part. As far as the game goes, they only gave up six pressures. Six pressures allowed, four hurries, one sack. And the sack was really Dorian trying to sneak out and create vertically up the pocket, which they end up labeling that one for him. The, the worst mark goes to Jerron Christian, who... That's a tough matchup with Alex Highsmith, man. He's he's a really challenging guy to block, and they left him on an island several times, uh, and b- b- were able to mitigate it as best they could. And his run blocking grade was worse. You're kind of reminded why Jerron Christian is more of a, t- a practice squad player more often than not, right? So, um, you you give him applause for for doing what he was asked. I think the Browns did the the most they possibly could with him and Hudson who also graded at a 36.5 pass block, 78, or sorry, 48.4 run block to just mitigate the difficulty of what they were trying to do in this game because those two edge rushers are unique. You're not going to face many teams with two as edge rushers as talented as Pittsburgh. There's just no, no way around that, right? So true pass sets, the, the number was 13. Uh, I thought Jerron Christian actually handled himself pretty well. True pass sets, postage was good. Dewan Jones was good. All 74, uh, or 70s and 80s across the board. Batonio gets a 65.6 because he allowed two hurries. But for the most part, the group was good on those third and pass because, again, the degree of difficulty wasn't very high in this one. You know, Hudson even gets a 76.1. So, you know, where they struggle a little bit was some of those non-true pass sets where they were tasked with being able to handle some of the neutrality of the game, right? Could be run, could be pass, and even the play-action stuff. Uh, even though there were only four attempts, it wasn't always clean. So good line performance, but schematically aided in, in a big way. Run game blocking, Wyatt Teller and Harrison Bryan are the only two grade above uh, the, the mark threshold for good. Posich down at the 63.2, and then You'll see at the bottom, Jerron Christian really struggled. Hudson struggled, and I thought they just did not handle the physicality at the point of attack to shield off, wall off some of the alleys you need for run game, you know, the right way, you know, for that power counter stuff. Petonio also down in that that range as well. They just didn't do well enough with that stuff. They didn't move people at the point of attack, and even when they went laterally, I thought Pittsburgh owned the line of scrimmage in the run game, and obviously the stats sort of bear that stuff out, right? So... Um, again, it's not all awful here, but it's certainly something that you want to, 
uh, take advantage of understanding why you were held to 13 points, be happy with a win, but you're going to have to score more than 13 to go into Denver and get a win. You need the quarterback to play better. You need the wide receivers to play better. You need the offensive line to be able to hold up a little bit longer than they have to this point and get some opportunities to throw the football downfield. It's going to be wildly necessary, right? So let's switch over and talk about defense now. We'll talk about specials at the end. The defense is really good, 249 yards allowed, which is which is really good stuff, exactly what you want to see uh, from them kind of carrying the load for this group, what they did with Pickett. Let's make sure we kind of lay out what they uh, were able to do uh, against Pittsburgh's passing attack before we dive into some of the other stuff. So Pickett in this game was 13 of 19 when he was kept clean, 87 yards. Under pressure, 2 of 9, 19 yards. It's awful. They really manipulated him in a big way. Sacked three times, three throwaways. Great stuff. When he wasn't blitzed, 11 of 17 for 90. When he was blitzed, 4 of 11 for 16 yards. His only effective pass grade screens, 26 yards, 4 of 7. I mean, they just, these are these are low numbers. They, they really, really got to him in a big way and had him flustered throughout the game. There's no doubt about that. Okay, for, so let's talk game plan. The Browns are going to box these guys in. They're going to play some deceptive man coverage looks, but be able to alter out of that into zone looks that would frustrate both protection, route concepts, and quarterback processing, right? In this one, the Browns ran man 21 times, so that's down from their season average, actually the second lowest other than the Cardinals' number of man snaps in a game. They played cover two 12 times, which is a large increase because they know Pickett likes to try to do a lot of flat throw, quick throw, get rid of the football stuff. They played 20 snaps of cover three. That's what they did. They actually did play some man zero, which is a heavy blitz usage, zero safety look, right? It's the riskiest sort of defense, Uh, Brian Flores type stuff a lot, but they were effective using it, okay? So they were able to uh, put blitzes in place 15 times. Pickett was 4 of 9 for 19 yards. Two sacks where he lost 21 collective yards. When they were in man coverage, right, which is what they've been best at this year, their EPA with man coverage among the best in the entire NFL. So when they used man coverage specifically in this one, they were... 4 of 9, Pittsburgh, 10 yards, 1 sack, 0 for 3 on third downs. So that's when they dropped back out of man coverage and threw it, right? Because there's obviously run snaps with those coverages tied in as well. They played 4 snaps of base, 50 snaps of nickel, sitting in that, 5 defensive backs. Then they played 3 snaps of dime, long third down distances. They actually sprinkled in one less linebacker, put a 5th D lineman on the field 9 times. I found that to be interesting playing some five-down stuff, getting after the quarterback, putting Z back at linebacker a little bit. It was fun. I mean, a ton of fire zone stuff. Talked about it in Chalk Talk if you're really, really interested in it. The fire zone dropping an edge out, bringing pressure opposite, overloading sides of the field was a great plan from Schwartz to really manipulate uh, Kenny Pickett's time in the pocket and how he was seeing the game, right? I thought that was impressive all the way around. And, uh, and the guys dropping were effective. They were in space. They knew where to be. And it didn't look like they were uncomfortable to me. And, uh, again, these pressure packages the Browns can bring are unique, fun, and challenging for opposing quarterbacks when they're really dialed in. But the man coverage stuff stood out to me, ten- taking that down. The Steelers are expecting more of it, pushing some zone coverage up, especially their cover two. That's the stuff you like to see. So 58 snaps is the most. Grant Delpit's out there. Obviously safety a little thin in this one. We'll see if they get Juan Thornhill back. This week, which will be paramount for them. Emerson, 56. Newsom, 50, uh, sorry, 54. Denzel back up at 56. Taki Taki played 51, stepping in for Walker. Miles Garrett played 49. JOK, 46. Rodney McLeod, 46. Dalvin Tomlinson, 41. And then Okoronko, 33. And then everyone else down below 30. Uh, it looks like Alex Wright got 19 snaps. Hickman, Ronnie Hickman stepped on the field for 13 snaps when he was on for McLeod late. Maurice Terse, 22. Shelby Harris, 23. Jordan Elliott, 25. They're really rotating around those interior guys, but Dalvin Tomlinson continues to be 
leading the uh, leading the force up front. Such a great signing. He's really, really a solid football player for what they want him to be. So, uh, really like what they're getting out of Tomlinson. Uh, let's check over real quick. Um, shift our I, I kind of focus to more specific player performance. Run defense grades. Okoronkwo led with a 73.2, including three stop tackles. This is the part of the game where the Browns slipped up a little bit, let some big plays happen, and a large portion of that 249 came on the ground where Jalen Warren was extremely difficult to bring down in this one. Martin Emerson, Denzel Ward accumulate the two other highest scores, Zadari Smith, Miles Garrett, grayed out really well. Miles had a 90.2 collectively, including a 91.2 pass rush, five pressures, two sacks. One hit, two hurries. He graded out well. Emerson Ward, Okoronkwo, Newsom, Maurice Hurst. Those are your top graded players. Kind of forgot to mention those guys at the top. As far as run defense, missed tackles go. They had 12 of those. So JOK, Rodney McLeod with three each. Those get to be your lowest run defense grades. But I thought JOK was fine. His missed tackles were costly that led to some bigger runs for Jalen Warren, but I thought he was really effective playing inside the tackle box. Even though the missed tackles hurt, I thought JOK played pretty well. Shelby Harris didn't grade well the run phase. Tomlinson didn't. Alex Wright didn't. Taki Taki and Jordan Elliott all below 50. Again, I, I <laughs> they gave up a couple big runs, but I don't think that they were abused in the run game. I mean, I think that if, if Newsom makes the tackle on the Warren touchdown... And JOK makes the two tackles on the other popped off runs of 20 yards from Warren, then I think it was it was pretty good. So those are not necessarily assignment issues. They're just executing the tackle, right? So I just can't find myself getting that mad at those scenarios. I thought that they were sound, just you have to wrap up and get a guy to the ground. And again, Jalen Warren was pretty special in that game. We talked about Miles Day as a pass rush player. Maurice Hurst gets a 76.3, including one pressure, but he won plenty of pass rush reps. Violent hands. I, I continue to just love watching Maurice Hurst play. JOK, pass rush 69.8. You get Alex Wright, 69.0. Shelby Harris, 69.0. Uh, he had two knockdown passes, which was great. Taki Taki had another one, had a knockdown pass. So those were your leading pass rush players. Okoronkwo had a sack and three total pressures, including two hurries. Two pressures from Dalvin Tomlinson. Rodney McLeod on a blitz had one. Jordan Elliott also had one. I thought those guys up front got after the quarterback and they cohesively worked to to create chaos for Pickett and a lot of really great assignment sound blitz stuff. I, I just thought the pass rush was as dynamic as it needs to be every week. The coverage grades were good. Denzel, the, the highest mark, two of five for seven yards in his direction. I mean, Zadarius Smith dropped into pass coverage four times, gets a nice grade. Thought he, I thought he looked kind of comfortable. His back is three, four days dropping into space. Martin Emerson gets a 76.7. Two of four targets in his direction were caught for 12 yards. Uh, three of five for Greg Newsom, who also gets a nice grade, 14 yards. JOK allowed one catch on one target for just seven yards. They did peg Grant Delpit with 48 yards, four of four in that regard. So he gets the lowest receiving grade, but I didn't think Grant was bad by any stretch. I actually thought he was pretty good. Um, I think they're giving him a couple of those as far as an underneath coverage defender that they're, they're kind of labeling to Grant. I thought he caught some blame for some of those, but Grant was fine. I thought he was all over the football field doing the rangy stuff that he's been good at all year. Uh, I continue to really like the play they're getting out of, of Grant Delpit this season. Uh, I'm not sure it's, uh, as a lead as the year started the first two games, but he's had between Seattle and Arizona. And then I thought he was pretty good the last two weeks. Like I just, I think he's headed in a great direction, doing a nice job, especially as the roles have changed for him as, uh, as the assignments have gotten a little trickier. Right. So uh, overall collectively, I could not be more happy with where the Browns defense is and the burden they carried on those two late possessions again to cause those punts to happen, especially the one deep inside the 50-yard line when it started, where it just felt that was going to be a traditional Steelers find a way to get a lucky win scenario to get the football back was so, so impressive. So again, I can't I can't speak highly enough about a defense who knows 
their offense is struggling but continues to step up to the plate and deliver. Man, that's this is just big-time stuff. Matt Adams, 25 special team snaps. De'Anthony Bell, 23. Mike Ford, 23. Pierre Strong, 21. Tony Fields, 21. Mahmoud Diabate with 20 as well. Those are your core special teams guys. Others with double-digit snaps. Harrison Bryant, Khalif Halase, James Prochet, Jordan Akins, JOK, Corey Bohorquez, Charlie Hewlett, because they were out there punting, holding snaps, right? A good bit. Highest grades from your special teams guys. Grant Delpit on nine special team snaps, kick coverage and punt return and punt coverage. Tony Fields, he included a tackle for Delpit, two assisted tackles for Charlie Hewlett. Snapper getting down there taking care of things. Tony Fields had a tackle. He graded well. Rodney McLeod graded well. Matt Adams graded well. JOK. Uh, they did not have a missed tackle on the day and covered punts and kicks pretty well. From a field goal perspective, Hopkins continues to be great. One of one from 20 to 29 yards, a game winner from the 30 to 39 yard range. Made both of his extra points and stellar stuff from Dustin Hopkins. I mean, worth every penny that they used to go get him. And then Bjorkos punted pretty well, man. He had eight punts, 380, 47.5 yards per attempt, a net average of 38.6, three downed inside the 20, uh, several of them that, that really flipped the field. Uh, the, the return yardage where it's 17 yards per return on the three returns doesn't look great, but he really boomed those in a sense that allowed those 17 yards on, on average per return to not really end up meaning much because he he was really getting into those punts. He had a long of 65. He did have the one miss hit at a crucial time that mattered, right? You can't have that when you're trying to flip the field late in the game to have a really short punt the way he did, but the Browns were able to overcome it. For, for the most part, a pretty good day. No kick returns in this one, but three punt returns. And I thought James Prochet after last week's debacle, heartbreaker, was really good. 37 yards in returns. He had... Five fair catches. He did a great job of keeping them off of being on the goal line. So he had three returns, 12.3 yards per return, and did a great job like getting the – I talk about it all the time. If you can get 10 yards on a return on average, he's 12.3 in this one, to cut a punt from a 47 to a 37 or vice versa or whatever that number is, that's doing your job. So I thought Prochet was really good in this. But listen, your Browns won 13-10. That's all the data you need. It's a very comprehensive study of what the game plan was on both sides of the football, how they executed it why it worked, and who stepped up to the plate and delivered. The defense gets a ton of the credit. They should. The special teams contributed in a big way, and the offense did just enough, especially that clutch late drive. Not to have to go to overtime, any of that. They deserve real credit for jumping out 10-0 and then doing just enough with with their one more drive than the other team to go out and win the football game. So, listen, seven and three. The Ravens are 8-3, leading the AFC in entirety right now. The Browns have the same record as the Dolphins, the Chiefs. All these teams that are so well-respected across the NFL and the AFC, the Browns are right there with them, right? And that's really cool. They're in the, in the midst of a chance to do something special. And that's all we – I mean, that's a dream, like Andrew and I were talking about at the very beginning. It's a very, it's a very real thing here, that they're in the midst – of having a chance to do something special considering all of the circumstances that they have dealt with to get here. To be tied amongst the AFC's best records-wise with the Jags too, I forgot to mention them at 7-3. and three. Sit back and enjoy it and, and really get pumped up for another very winnable game followed by a trip to LA for a very winnable game and then a showdown with the Jags. This could be fun, man. Hot Broncos team. We're going to talk all about them. Get you ready. We got a mailbag tomorrow. We'll cover the mailbag. A lot of questions have already trickled in. Get those in if you have not. We'll cover that, and then we'll have a little Thanksgiving Day episode where we go through what we do with Jordan and Andrew, and then we'll get behind enemy lines on Friday, and we're rolling, man, toward the weekend of an exciting 420 kick out in Denver. Should be great stuff. Thanks for stopping by. Enjoy your win over the Steelers. Back-to-back weeks, Ravens-Steelers, your team gets a win unique stuff really really awesome enjoy it as i always say thanks for making the obr film breakdown a part of your day and go browns
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.